Well, today, we want to take a few minutes to uh, look at a, an interesting concept and an interesting passage in the Bible. I don't know if you're aware of this, but, you know, there is a, uh, outside of Exodus, there is a book of the Bible that we read on Passover, and it's not in the Torah. Does anybody know what it is? Whoa, who said that? Who said that? Raise your hand. I can't see it, but okay, good enough. All right. Uh, the Song of Solomon, that is right. Uh, we read uh, the Song of Solomon. Uh, and uh, let's see, does anybody know when we're supposed to traditionally read it? Usually it's read at the end of the first Seder, at the end of the first Seder uh, in, uh, in Israel. And in the diaspora, either, the end of the, either it's cut up into two parts, the first Seder, second Seder, or, uh, or all at the end of, of the first Seder. Uh, and I thought it might be interesting to talk a little bit about Song of Solomon uh, today uh, because uh, it is read at Passover and it is uh, an underutilized uh, book of the Bible. Okay? Now, this is not, now I have to tell you in our MSI course on writings, which is going on right now, we'll, we'll talk about Song of Solomon. This morning, I am just going to say a few things about it and look at one passage and and we want to glean uh, some things uh, from it. The first question, of course, we should ask ourselves is, why are we reading the Song of Solomon <laughs> at Passover? Uh, it doesn't, ha doesn't seemingly have much to do with the sacrificed lamb. Uh, it doesn't seem to have uh, uh, much to do with uh, the events of, uh, of uh, Passover, though it does mention Pharaoh in, in there. There's no mention of God, covenant, anything like that in, in the book. You know, it's kind of interesting. So uh, the history of interpretation of the Song of Solomon, or, you know, Shir HaShirim in Hebrew, Song of Songs. It's actually in Hebrew, it's called, the, the English translation of the Hebrew name would be Song of Songs. Okay? Uh, and uh, now also it's known as Canticles. I think that's, that comes from Latin. Uh, and, of course, the Song of Solomon. Now, it has a very interesting history of interpretation, right? Uh, a good question we ask is, why is this even in the Bible? I mean, it's like a, it's a love story, um, and, but a very hard one to interpret. For example, it's hard to tell how many people are involved. It's either two or three. Depends how you read it. Uh, who is it? And, well, you get the idea it's Solomon, but... There are other, uh, other issues going on in here. Solomon was never a shepherd. Uh, there's a shepherd involved in this. All right. Uh, and, uh, but in the history of its interpretation, for about 18 centuries, this was understood to be, uh, in the Jewish world, the love of God for his people, you know, uh, the love for uh, Israel. And then uh, from the beginning of... Uh, from the time when the church embraced the Tanakh as its Bible, the love of Messiah for his people. But then sometime in the middle of the 19th century, uh, when uh, you know, there was a, uh, a lot of changes in, in worldview and understanding the Bible and understanding hermeneutics and interpretation, uh, it became much more popular to understand it as simply a love song uh, between a man and a woman. And today, uh, probably, uh, uh, it's hard for me to even tell what the predominant view is of, of people, 
uh, in this. Uh, certainly, uh, if, you, if you individualize the book, in other words, just take it on its own, certainly it's the story of, uh, of love between a man and a woman, and a lovely story of love between a man and a woman, and a great thing to, to read, and a great thing to uh, learn about love, and to recognize that love and sexuality and all of that are gifts of God, and, and all that. But if we read it canonically, meaning as part of everything else in the Bible, everything in the Bible somehow relates to God's interaction with human beings, uh, even where God's name is not mentioned, like the book of Esther, for example. Certainly it's about God and his uh, providence, right? It's not only about uh, Esther and Mordechai and, uh, and, and the, the Jewish people in Persia. Uh, and not only that, but throughout the Bible, you have this metaphor in many different places of God's relationship to people as a love relationship, a love-slash-covenantal relationship. And so, therefore, Song of Songs, when understood canonically, seems to help us, I think, in understanding the passion of God for his people in light. In other words, I guess what I'm trying to say is, when you read about how God says he loves Israel, uh, and we're to love God, but we know that comes in the form of, of service, of servanthood, and all of that, what the Song of Solomon provides for us is an, an emotional, passionate element that we might not feel otherwise. And uh, I would say, uh, from what I've read, that the motivation, the, the human motivation, the human motivation of this book being in the Bible is uh, as a backdrop to the love of God for people. And that's why... The reason that uh, the song uh, that this book is, is read at Passover is not because we're all, uh, you know, this is the Passover is the season of love. Uh, but the reason that we read it at Passover, well, it is, it's springtime. But uh, anyway, but we're eating the bread of affliction. Oh, stop. All right. But anyway, uh, uh, the reason that we read this is because of God's love for his people. That's why we read the book at Passover. And so uh, I wanted to just to read a small section of it uh, and, uh, and then um, just make some comments about this idea of God's love for us uh, and what that means and how a love relationship in the Bible a love relationship between a man and a woman is supposed to reflect God's love for us. And may I suggest that's how we should read the Song of Solomon. It's a love song between people that reflects the love of God for us. And uh, if you like to, if, if you uh, get all excited about reading uh, extra biblical rabbinic literature, oh, as I do, um, there's, a, there's a great midrash on the Song of Solomon. That does that. And what, what the Midrash does is it frames the Song of Solomon as God's love for Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. And it's just kind of interesting uh, uh, to, uh, to read it that way. But I thought uh, we would read in chapter 2, uh, verse 8 to the end of the chapter. And it's just a, a beautiful section, and it really certainly depicts love and devotion. 
Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 8 to the end of the chapter. Listen, my beloved, behold, he is coming, climbing on the mountains, leaping on the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he is standing behind our wall. He is looking through the window. He is peering through the lattice. My beloved responded and said, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers have already appeared in the land. The time has arrived for pruning the vines. And the voice of the turtle dove has been heard in our land. The fig tree has ripened its figs. And the vines in blossom have given forth their fragrance. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. O oh, my dove in the clefts of the rock, in the secret place of the, steep, of the steep pathway, let me see your form, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your form is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that are ruining the vineyards, while our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine and I am his. He pastures his flock among the lilies. Until the cool of the day when the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of Bethar. And so you can really glean the, uh, the anticipation and the emotion of uh, the speaker and the beloved one. In fact, I, 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 on Janet and my uh, uh, wedding rings, uh, we have uh, from verse 16 here, you know, um, uh, my beloved is mine and I am his in Hebrew, uh, you know, and that's uh, beautiful. And ani dodi vadodi li. And it's, uh, it's a beautiful um, statement and uh, it encapsulates, yes, uh, I am my beloved and, and uh, my beloved is mine and I am his. Uh, and in our relationship with uh, husband and wife, certainly that uh, should depict uh, all levels of that kind of relationship. But it should also depict the love relationship that we have uh, with, with God. So I thought we would talk a little bit about this love relationship that we have with God in light of all that uh, Passover, all that Passover means uh, uh, to us. You know, it's interesting. The way that the, uh, the, the rabbis of, of old uh, understand how this plays out in the, uh, uh, in the Passover is that when God calls Israel out of Egypt, uh, that is the beginning of, of his love relationship, of him calling them out. Uh, and then uh, we, we could say that that is the beginning of the Shidduch. Uh, if you're familiar with uh, Yiddish or Hebrew uh, as well, it is sort of like uh, making the deal for the bride. Uh, in fact, uh, the way that word is used in, uh, in Yiddish today is that's what a matchmaker does. Yeah, making a Shidduch is uh, putting two people together uh, for, for uh, a marriage. And, uh, and so then when Israel comes to Mount Sinai, that's the ketubah. That is the, uh, the wedding contract. And then when uh, the uh, ark, when the tabernacle is built uh, uh, and uh, Israel comes to dwell 
uh, with God in the tabernacle via the priests, uh, that is the consummation. That is now the wedding. The wedding has been made. And, uh, and then we read throughout uh, the prophets about Israel's relationship with God being, as it were, a husband and a wife. And sadly, what we read throughout the text is the deplorable situation of the wife, uh, the adultery uh, of, of the wife. And in the prophets, very interestingly, we read, when we read about the relationship of the, uh, the husband and the wife in the prophets, we read about how it used to be good, and one day in the future it'll be great again, but right now it's pretty rocky. That's basically what the prophets uh, are, are, uh, are saying. And it's very interesting, and no coincidence, by the way, that one of the primary metaphors of uh, the New Covenant is the bride and the groom, right? Yeshua is the groom, and the body of Messiah is the bride. It is simply uh, a continuation of that kind of uh, uh, relationship that we read going, uh, going, all the way, uh, going all the way back. All right? Now, there is, uh, there's a number of places where, uh, where we read about the bride, uh, the, the bride and the groom in the, in the context of the, uh, the Hebrew uh, scriptures. Probably one of the most famous is in Hosea, right? We're familiar with that, perhaps. In uh, Hosea, in the uh, second uh, chapter, Genesis 1.1. No. Uh, okay, Hosea 2.18. In that day, I will also make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and the war from the land. And I will make them lie down in safety. In safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Okay? I could go on to the, well, let's read to the end of the chapter. And it will come about in that day that I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the heavens and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain and to the new wine and to the oil. And they will respond to Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will also have compassion on her who has not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they will say, thou art my God. Um, now, in this context, uh, it's, it's interesting. When he says here, you're not my people and you will be my people here, he's talking about Israel who has walked away from him and how they'll, you'll be my people. You were not my people, as it says in chapter 1. Right, and now now you're brought back, but this becomes applied to the nations. Uh, Paul applies it to the nations uh, in the in the book of Romans. Uh, but nevertheless, the phrase going back here in verse nineteen and twenty, I will betroth. He says it over and over again. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice. And then in verse twenty, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you will know that I am the Lord. That uh, certainly is a metaphor uh, of marriage, of a love relationship. Uh, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel is another place in just a couple of verses, though. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 16, Ezekiel is a tough, Ezekiel 16 is a tough chapter. Wait a minute, Ezekiel, how, Ezekiel, there we go. It's a long chapter, and it outlines 
all the sins of the people. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Uh, but in verses 7 and 8, here the prophet speaking uh, for the Lord reminisces about the past. And he says, I made you numerous, in verse 7, I made you numerous like plants of the field. Then you grew up, because, became tall, and reached the age for fine ornaments. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. Then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at the, uh, you were at the time for love. So I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you so that you became mine, declared uh, the Lord. Then I bathed you with water, washed off your blood from you, and anointed you with oil. And then he goes on. But then it goes on to talk about the, 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 you know, the horrible, horrible uh, sinfulness uh, of the nation. But it is very interesting. If you go all the way to verse 50, verse 60, it just goes to show you how many verses of sinfulness we read about in those intervening verses. Nevertheless, it's a great word. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your sisters, both your older and your younger, and I will give them to you as daughters, but not because of your covenant. Thus, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And so, again, just like in Hosea, uh, there is this uh, covenant of love. Israel sins, uh, but then God will ultimately remember his covenant relationship. And the love, indeed, is, uh, is restored. Now, another interesting place where we read about this kind of relationship is in Jeremiah chapter 31. In fact, uh, a Jewish wedding... <laughs> A Jewish, uh, uh, some of the Jewish wedding liturgy uh, and customs comes from uh, Jeremiah chapter 31. It's uh, very interesting. Uh, you see some of the, uh, the Sheva Brochot, the seven blessings, some of them are reflected in what is said in the early uh, verses of, of uh, chapter 31. So Jeremiah 31. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness, Israel, when it went to find its rest. The Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Again, I will build you, and you shall be rebuilt, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall take up your tambourines. We sing a song from here. Again, you shall take up your tambourines and go forth to the dances of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy them. And there shall be a day when watchmen uh, on the hills of Ephraim shall call out, Arise and let us go to Zion to the Lord our God. Thus says the Lord God, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chiefs of the nations, Proclaim, give praise, and say, The Lord, save thy people, the remnant of Israel. And it goes on. Now, you sometimes, and you, you see this in a number of places, you have two metaphors that inter, interchange with each other. The husband and the wife, 
and the parent and the child. And you see that here as well, that you have uh, a little bit of, uh, of, of each. But the predominant one, certainly here in, in, uh, in Hosea and in um, uh, Jeremiah, is a love relationship. Uh, now, if you turn, um, let's see, down to verse 21, all the way down to verse 21, it says here, set up for yourself road, ma- road marks, place for yourself guideposts, direct your mind to the highway, the way by which you went. Return, O virgin of Israel, return to these your cities. How long will you go here, O faithless daughter? So here you have a, a father and daughter. But then notice it says, for the Lord has created a new thing in the earth. A woman will encompass a man. That little phrase, a woman shall encompass a man. That is the passage in the Bible that uh, gave inspiration in the marriage, Jewish marriage ceremony to the bride circling the man, circling the husband. If you've ever been to a Jewish wedding, sometimes you do it three times, seven times, but the bride circles the man. comes from here. For the Lord has created a new thing in the earth. A woman will encompass a man. Now, I, if we move all the way down here to um, just go to verse 31. Now, this is a passage we may be familiar with in this chapter, the new covenant. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach any man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. So if you go back and you think about... Passover, uh, being understood by our, uh, by our sages, the sages of Israel, as uh, the, the beginning of the, the shidduch, of, uh, of, of the marriage uh, event, uh, and the, uh, the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai as uh, the uh, ketubah, uh, it's very interesting then and then to think about what the rabbis also say about, as I shared this at our Seder, about another Passover, a Passover in the future, after, you know, way after the Exodus Passover, when there would be a yet a, a, another redemption uh, and uh, one might say another Seder and another, uh, another uh, celebration of redemption. It's uh, very interesting to see here that what Jeremiah is talking about, he's talking to the people who are going into the Babylonian captivity. Okay? In fact, uh, there is a, um, a passage here that's quoted in, um, in the Gospels. Here, I just got to find it. Where's Rachel weeping here? There it is, verse 15 of chapter 31. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. They are no more. Thus says the Lord, restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. 
For your work shall be rewarded, declares the Lord, and they shall return from the land of their enemy. And there is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall return from their own territory. Okay. This is quoted. This uh, verse 15 is quoted in the Gospel of Matthew because the, understand, the, the New Covenant understanding is is that this is not re- referring to after the Babylonian captivity, but this is referring to that second Passover, that, that, that second redemption. And it is Messiah Yeshua who brings forth that second redemption. And the new covenant is, one might say, the new ketubah, is the marriage contract. And so, you know, in a... Um, in an ancient Jewish wedding, now it's all kind of truncated. Now in a Jewish wedding, it doesn't really... You have little bits and pieces of, this, of the ancient Jewish wedding. But the, the, the shiruchim, as it's called, was when there would be... The deal would be struck regarding the bride and the groom. The original prenuptial agreement. Okay? Where I... What, what is the dowry going to be? You know, uh, and um, what are all the stipulations... Uh, of this uh, relationship and uh, and and all of that, so they would make this um, they would make this ketubah, right? Uh, and uh, and and so we see that we see that here. The new covenant is what we might call our the uh, the restored marriage uh, contract, and it's very interesting because when you read it carefully, we see here uh, that in this covenant God puts the Torah within, within us, in our heart. And he says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. He ensures, the groom ensures that this uh, relationship will be one of fidelity, right? He places the Torah in, in the inward parts, right? And then uh, as it goes on, he says, they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Right? I will forgive their iniquity. Their sin I will remember no more. Complete uh, a forgiveness. Uh, the kind of relationship that God has always desired to have with his, with his people. And this is the promise that he makes. This is indeed the, uh, the ketubah. Now, uh, in, a, uh, in an ancient wedding, uh, after that, there uh, would be the betrothal. The betrothal. This would take uh, about a year, okay? And the bride and the groom would come under a chuppah. Uh, and uh, uh, the ketubah would be, made, would be said and basically, you know, uh, uh, put, in, um, put into effect. But they did not get what we would call married yet. When they come under the, uh, the chuppah, they, under the canopy, now becomes for the bride a season of preparation. And for the groom, it's a time to go and make, make, a, make a home ready for, uh, for the bride, right? Now, this might sound a little familiar to us. Yeshua himself uses terminology where you have to wonder, is this what he had in his mind when he said this? And when does he say this in John 14? He says it at the Seder. He says it at the Last Supper. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but John 13, 14, 15, and 16 is all taking place at the same meal where he takes the bread and the cup. Okay? 
So he says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will receive you to myself, and where I am, there you may be also. He's saying, in effect, to his disciples, first he says, let not your heart be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. Believe in God, believe in me. Emphasizing that, okay? In a sense, saying, that's the ketubah. That's entering into the, the marriage covenant, into the new covenant. And then he says, but now I'm going away. But I'm going to come back. And he's when he says he's going away, he's referring to the whole event of his death and, and everything subsequent. The resurrection and then being ascended to the right hand of the Father. Uh, and that, that whole event, that's what he's referring to. Okay? Uh, and... Uh, what, what is the bride supposed to do in the meantime? Become prepared, right? Become prepared. Uh, and so that is the backdrop. I won't take the time to read this, but it's the backdrop of Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13, if you're familiar with the parable of the virgins. Okay? That's the backdrop, the ancient Jewish wedding ceremony. But... Also, when you read in, um, in uh, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, in the fifth chapter, in the famous passage about the relationship of husbands and wives, when you read in verse 22, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Messiah is the head of the body of Messiah, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the, uh, as the believers, as, as it says here, church or community of believers, is subject to Messiah, so also wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives as Messiah also loved the believers and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the believers in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So he's talking about the relationship of husbands and wives that should serve as a living metaphor of our relationship with God. And that's how we need to read that passage. Because he really emphasizes how Yeshua is the head of the body, and how Yeshua is preparing us for himself, and how we are betrothed to him. But he is making us ready, that he might present to himself the believers in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or anything like that. See, this is a season of preparation. Our whole lives in Messiah is a time of preparation. We might uh, think, well, you know, I, um, I, when, I, when I received the Lord into my life, that was the high point. You know, the high point hasn't happened yet. We are in this time of preparation. And may I suggest that everything that happens in our lives is building into this preparation. Everything that happens. You know those passages that you read about in the book of James and in Romans about how difficult times, trials, builds character and, you know, and hope and so on and so forth? It's all for the purpose of preparation, preparation, preparation. Growing in the Lord, knowing Him better. And you know, in the book of Revelation, it's very interesting, we come to the last part of the ancient Jewish wedding, the Nisuyim, meaning the marriage itself. So after this year of preparation, 
The groom, just as we read in the parable in Matthew 25, the groom comes at an unexpected time for the bride, and she needs to be ready. And then he takes the bride, and then, then they, they go and they have another chuppah ceremony, and then they go in to consummate the, uh, the marriage, and then there's a big celebration after that. Very interesting, because in the book of Revelation, you read in chapter 19, verse 7, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. And so, what you have here toward the end of the book of Revelation is the consummation, is the time when the groom comes for the bride and the uh, relationship is, is consummated and we rejoice at the marriage supper forever. The next, the third Seder, we could call it. The next Seder, you know? And uh, what a glorious way to understand our relationship with God. It is not just simply one of obedience and disobedience, you know? It's not just one, it's not about performance. It's about a love covenantal relationship where we, yes, we serve God, and yes, we obey because we love Him. And He loves us. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. And we should think about kindling that spiritual passion that two lovers have that we read about back in the Song of, uh, the song of Solomon. You know, uh, when you go back there and you read it, you know, it can seem sometimes a little embarrassing. But it's about passion. It's about loving passion. And in this passage in chapter 2, listen now, having said all of that, think about God. Think about us. Think about being prepared. Think about being cleansed. Think about that consummation that's coming. Think about how much the groom loves the bride. How much God loves his people Israel. How much God loves uh, the, the Messiah followers. Right? Uh, you know, in the, in the ketubah, uh, by the, you know, when Yeshua took the cup, think about this. Before we uh, close with reading this, think about this. At the, when Yeshua says, believe in God, believe also in me, I'm going to go and prepare a place and I'm going to come back. He also takes the cup and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. This is the new covenant. This is the ketubah. You know, uh, this is a wedding. This is the, what, what Hosea was looking toward. This is what Jeremiah was looking toward. This is what Moses was looking toward, the, the consummation. God ensures for us. He gives us a circumcised heart. He places the Torah within us. Within us. He ensures a love relationship. He gives us the Ruach HaKodesh. Today, he gives us the Ruach HaKodesh as like, uh, as you know, as the down payment, or or one might say, maybe um, in a very uh, I haven't thought through this entire thing. So, uh, as a ring, one might say, you know, 
that I know I belong to God. I'm waiting for the consummation. I belong to God. The Spirit of God is not simply a uh, symbol. That's what's a little... Uh, anyway, but the Spirit of God dwells within us, right? Uh, and He empowers us to be faithful to the covenant, to be faithful to the ketubah. And what a satisfying, marvelous love relationship we have with God looking forward to that day. Listen, my beloved. Behold, He is coming, climbing on the mountains, leaping on the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, He is standing behind our wall. He is looking through the windows. He is peering through the lattice. What anticipation! My beloved responded and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along, for behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers have already appeared in the land. The time has arrived for pruning the vines. And the voice of the turtle dove has been heard in our land. The fig tree has ripened its figs, and the vines in blossom have given forth their fragrance. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. May it be what the bridegroom says. He desires us. He wants us. He's preparing us. It's not about legalistic obedience. It is about covenantal love. My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the secret place of the steep pathway, let me see your form. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your form is lovely. And then just jumping down to verse 16, my beloved is mine and I am his. My beloved is mine and mine is his. May it be true as we move forward uh, in our 50 days from Passover to Shavuot, may we deepen in our love relationship with God. May we get to know Him better. May we know His Word better. May we understand His covenant love for us. And may we truly have passion to know God better, to truly know Him, to walk in His ways, uh, and, uh, and, and truly be satisfied looking forward to that day.